0: Hello, wherever you are in the world today. Welcome to Beyond the Art and our series, The Stories That Carry Us. I'm your host, Craig Beaumont Flynn, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Delaware Tribe of Indians. In each episode, we will discuss with various Native American artists, influencers, art leaders, and everyone in between their experiences, the communities they serve, and the translation and interpretation of the Native American art world today. Welcome to Beyond the Art. Today, uh, today we have with us Joe Williams, uh, the podcast host of Five Plain Questions and an artist, a storyboard artist. Uh, Joe, why don't you go ahead and tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your background and cultural heritage?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me here. This is this is an honor. Uh, I've I've really come to enjoy your podcast and what oh, you all do you. here. Uh, it's it's great that uh, you you're doing this and sharing stories of really some fantastic guests and. Uh, I'm really impressed with your list so far. So, uh, congratulations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my name is Joe Williams. Uh, I'm a Waupetewan Dakota from the Sisseton Wapatin Oyate. Um, I was born on the Lake Traverse Reservation in South Dakota, uh, born and raised there. Um, sort of a South Dakota boy for the most part. Uh, <laughs> went to the University of South Dakota. I was in the Army National Guard for 20 years. Um, I went to, uh, in short, I went to, um, the Academy of Arts University in San Francisco for my master's program in which I got my uh, master of fine arts in storyboarding Mm. at the school of animation there. I received my, my undergrad uh, at the university of South Dakota in American Indian studies. Uh, For the most part, I had gone through college as an art student. uh, But as I got closer to the end of that experience, uh, they didn't have the illustration program that I was kind of looking for. And, I had taken so many of the American Indian Studies courses that I just made the switch over there to complete that program, and I'm glad I did. It was super interesting, a uh, great group of people that were there back then, and uh, yeah, that's um, that's in, kind of in short of of my background. Um, <laughs> Encapsulated real quick, <laughs> real quick, yeah, in a nutshell. Uh, but you know, during grad school, uh, back in 2017. I had just returned from my third final deployment and I was looking for an internship at, um, at a museum. And, uh, my wife was in medical school at the time. And so I went to the local museum, the Plains art museum, and they had an opening for an intern at, in their American or in their, um, Native American programs there. Mm-hmm. And so I applied uh, to that and I got that and we all hit it off and, I'm now the director of that program. So I kind of joke that my being a director at the museum there is an internship that I got out of control. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I've, I've, been there now for as director for uh, four years now, I believe I've been in that role. So, but that's what uh, inspired
0: yeah. you to, to do the podcast. And I mean, from your, your craft of being a storyboard artist to now a, a podcast host.
1: So the, the two are, are, Kind of similar, actually. Um, you know, to be a storyboard artist, you have to be a storyteller. You have to be able mm-hmm. to know how to frame images to be able to tell a story. And, of course, as a podcast uh, podcaster, you have to have some sort of ability inside you to be able to tell a story, to be able to frame a story that's interesting uh, to to your listener. And so mm-hmm. – uh, you know, the question is is how how does one do that? I guess um, you know the podcast was something that I'd been interested in for quite some time. wasn't quite sure what my platform would be. Uh, I really enjoy having conversations with people. I feel like I'm an engaged listener, and I'm I have this ability to be able to really draw out stories from people. And quite often, I would hear from from just casual conversations people admitting that they've never actually shared this before, um, right. or <laughs> they sort of go to a place. And I always feel that that's a huge privilege that someone finds trust uh, in me in those conversations. So when I started at the museum and I started uh, to curate exhibitions and put those together, I started to do the math on how many exhibitions we do a year. And let's say I stay at the museum for 20 years. Well, that means then I'll create about X amount of exhibitions. It will feature only so many artists. And I thought, well, that's, that's not right. You know, there's, there's so many artists out there that I want to work with. And one thing that I've found in creating exhibitions is that we're very limited on telling their story. Mm -hmm. Of course the platform is for them to exhibit their artwork. And we put together a story in those exhibitions about what they're trying to talk about, but an introduction panel and didactics can only tell so much about that individual. And I feel like this podcast is a, is a companion to those exhibitions that people can hear the voice of the artist. They can share space with that individual. And so I, when the pandemic hit, um, I sat down with, with my boss at the time and had a conversation with him and to his credit, he said, go for it, you know, um, try you know, try the podcast. We kind of assumed we would do maybe 12 episodes, you know, just wait for the pandemic to get over with and we'll figure it out from there. And I set this ambitious goal of doing an episode a week and not knowing how much work you. that actually is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you on that. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're we're about 150 episodes in now. Uh, we're in our fourth year. And it's right. a very structured podcast. You know, it's... Um, it's it's like the the title of it is five plain questions. You know, um, we present the questions to the to the guest, and we give them
0: the space to be able to talk about that story. So, yeah, very cool. Yes, uh, I know the the heartache, the trial, the tribulations, the growing pains <laughs> in doing a <laughs> podcast. How's it taken? I mean, four years is is quite extensive. And congratulations again on uh, 150 episodes. Has the platform or the, the subject line changed or has it kind of uh, taken a mind of its own or you pretty much stayed true from the beginning to where you're at now?
1: I think the format has stayed true. Um, I, I mm-hmm. generally ask the same questions. Um, sometimes I, I can't ask um, certain people in certain professions, the same questions I would ask uh, a studio artist. And so the questions might right. vary um, sort of the, the unspoken rule in it too is that, um, it's five questions, but then there's a dozen follow-up questions, you know, because sometimes, um, topics will come up and I just need to interject myself and, and, um, ask another question or share right. something that's come to mind, you know, to, to build, to build that rapport with the guest. So, yeah, I think the, the more proper title of the, of the podcast is five, five plain questions and 12 follow-up questions or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The neat thing about the open-ended questions, and I, I, I find that this is the same with, with your program too, is that not every episode is the same. Every conversation is different. Experiences, um, everyone has a unique, kind of a similar similar trait, but a unique story, of course. And mm-hmm. so it's it every episode's is, is you'll you'll never hear the same sort of canned sure. um episode. Yeah.
0: True. Very, very true. And then being on the other side is, uh, those times where you kind of, uh, pre-interview somebody and they talk, 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 and then you get them on the show. And it's like one, one word answer is like, uh, elaborate, oh. tell us more, more yes. <laughs> yes. challenges. Um, has there, can you describe any of the challenges that you've, uh, had to face, um, with the show and the Native American, Native American artist community and getting them on board to really tell the stories. Because I think it's indicative of Native Americans in our culture that we, we don't uh, look for attention or be on the spotlight. So has that been a, a problem that you've kind of had to pull people into?
1: I, I have, I have for sure. Um, just like you said, we'll have pre-interviews and post-interviews. As soon as the the recording stops, then the conversations start. You know, and it's like, oh, I wish I could grab these, but of course, yeah. you, know, you have you have to build that trust. You know, you don't want to violate that trust. And so, I've I've had real fire in unrecorded conversations. We're still on the microphones. We're still face to face. Right. But even you know, my my last couple of guests were um, are uh, members of the fourteen ninety ones. And they were saying, um, I think one of them even mentioned on the podcast, that it's really hard for them to talk about themselves, you know, mm-hmm. even though they're entertainers, even though they're in front of the camera. And, you know, that's just one of the the traits of, of our culture, you know, is that we we try to serve community over ourselves. And so mm-hmm. with that in mind, um, you know, I, I do remind uh, the guests and sort of try to to push the idea that, the, the purpose of this these conversations is to inspire younger people who are listening, for them to know the stories of people further down the path than they are, so that they have sort of a guide or an example to follow mm-hmm. if, that's, if that's what they want to do. And, you know, sometimes um, we'll ask the questions over again. Uh, I, I remember I had one young artist. She was very nervous. And uh, we went through the interview and we got to the end of it and by the time we got to the end about 45 minutes into it she had loosened up and she was finally like because we know each other on the outside right and Mm -hmm. so uh, to get her to be her normal sort of bubbly personality it really took a while for her to get over the fact that you know we were on screen together headphones on microphones you know and once she got over that uh, we started the interview again, and so the interview that the listener hears is, is the second take of that whole thing uh but we we're able to draw out that um that guest also too um I remind the guests sometimes when they are a little nervous that it's just me and them, you know mm-hmm. it's just you and me having this conversation right. and I always say listener, I don't say listeners or the audience, I say there's one person listening to this conversation with us, and it's the person that's listening to it right right um and so maybe that helps my anxiety because i can't (laughs) i can't
0: think about it sometimes you know Um, yeah true true and i think that warming them up to and again it's about them telling them story and there's some hidden things there that i think you know being on the other side and extracting it from them because you you kind of see it in the direction it's going and then all of a sudden they'll stop no you, you have to elaborate continue on this is very interesting to me As the listener, um, I'm not just the host, but I'm also the listener. In what ways do you envision, um, your podcast contributing to a broader understanding, uh, and appreciation of Native American culture, both within and outside the community,
1: you know, within the community, I try to make our conversations a trusted place for us to talk. Um, I think so much online, especially online on social media, Mm -hmm. uh, we're sort of in a place right now where um, we like to pile on everyone sort of attacks and piles on. And this is sort of the opportunity for us to have a trusted conversation, to be able to share their story. You know, there's, with this podcast, there's no gotcha questions, you know, I'm not going to surprise you with a hard hitting um, uh, take on their life or on this decision that they've made in the past. Um, I think too uh, for those outside the community, I, I want to humanize the, the story, uh, and, and the guest, of course, um, the, the podcast came on the heels of the Standing Rock, uh, the, the, the protests that were, handi- were, that were happening out West. Mm-hmm. And one thing I had noticed after Standing Rock was this, uh, disingenuous, uh, storytelling from the local media. Uh, a lot of which were controlled by oil money, um, and local politicians and law enforcement, and <clears throat> and uh, I, I didn't like how the stories were not portrayed accurately and with a spin. And so, I wanted to contribute to the regional conversation by having our guests tell their stories. And the the podcast is audio only; there's no visual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So right away, I remove uh, away the 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 listener can interact with a podcast by just hearing the voice and the individual is forced to listen to the artist or the guest and then my hope is that you know that they sort of experience the same hopes and fears and desires and that the guest is is sharing because you know at the end of the day you know we're all contemporary people mm-hmm. you know we all have rent or mortgage we all some of us have student loans, you know, we all have car payments. Right. We all have security concerns in life. And that's something that's relatable. I don't care what community you're from. It may look different, uh, right. from person to person, from block to block. But I feel that uh if the listener can sort of slow down and just listen to what the person is saying, that it it can humanize them and they're from there then a relationship could be built. Mm-hmm. Uh with the listener to the guest that can be trusted. And again, humanizes them.
0: So on your own, um, do you still practice your craft as a storyboard artist?
1: I do. I do. So my day job is I'm a director of uh, native programs at a museum. And that's my nine to five. Mm -hmm. And when I get home at night, um, if I'm contracted to do storyboard work, uh, yeah, I will work on that till midnight till one in the morning. That is definitely my passion. I, I love drawing. Uh, I'm working on some private commissions right now, uh, with the, the writer strike, um, in Hollywood, that's sort of mm-hmm. stopped a lot of projects right now. So, uh, I like, um, all the other storyboard artists right now, none of us are working. So, uh, yeah, so I'm just doing commissions at the moment. Um, drawing is a, is an obsession with me. I have to be drawing. Uh, you yeah. at work when I'm in meetings, I'm sketching. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best administrator out there, but uh, <laughs> what's he doing again? He's, <laughs> he's doodling. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, um, you know, storyboarding was something that, uh, I, I first went to California in 1999. And when I wanted to pursue that and I just got out of, out of basic training, uh, San Francisco is a very expensive town to begin with. Mm-hmm. And when you're 20 years old and uh, all you're getting is $98 from, from the, the national guard a month, uh, that's, that's, it's hard to to live they like go that. Go far. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm one of the few people that actually lost weight after basic training. Uh, <laughs> so I got talked back to come back to South Dakota and so uh, finished school and all that. And, you know, 15 years later, I still had that, uh, that itch that I needed to, to follow through on. And so my, my wife and I decided to move out to California and for me to pursue that master's. And, uh, I think the important thing about the master's was the networking that went in there, mm-hmm. you know, um, making those connections and meeting people. And when she started med school and I moved back, I really pushed, uh, that relationship building and yeah. Uh, through through that work and even on the podcast, some of the guests have led to some projects that I've worked on. <clears throat> uh the last uh I think three years I've been pretty regularly regularly employed as a storyboard artist. So it's it's Fantastic. been it's been great. It's really been so you're,
0: great. you're you're joking a lot. <laughs> well,
1: I am I don't I don't sleep as much as I'd like to <laughs> uh,
0: but I it's hear you. it's I hear you. It, what inspired yeah. you
1: what's that? Oh no! Uh, it, it's the season, right? The season that we're in right now. Um, yeah. If I got the energy, yeah. I'm going for it.
0: Yeah, I, I and I can't sit idle. I don't like sitting idle or, you know, resting or tuning out. You know, I have to continue work the brain. Um, what inspired you to become an artist, and were there any specific experiences or moments that sparked your creative journey?
1: If if I'm being Fully honest, um, I got bullied quite a bit as a kid. Um, I'm I'm half Native, I'm half white. Uh, mm-hmm. Growing up in rural South Dakota, that can be uh, challenging. Um, you know, Sisseton is a checkered reservation, meaning that um, there are plots of land that are uh, federal tribal lands, and then other parts of it are um, non-native land and city owned, county owned, state owned, and so. I would, you know, grew up on the res, but I went to a public school and, uh, you know, at the public school, I was the Indian kid. Uh, when I'd go to the tribal school, I was the white kid. Right. And you know, when you're 12 years old, you can't win, you can't yeah. win the fight. <laughs> and so, um, I really sort of internalized everything and started drawing quite a bit. And when I was in high school, I was a freshman. um, my art teacher had found this pamphlet for this summer program called the Oscar Howe Summer Art Institute. I had no idea who that was. I didn't know what mm-hmm. this was, but it was a two week summer program at the university of South Dakota, high school, native high school kids could go to the college for two weeks and you would just, you would learn uh, the the foundations of art. And so I, I kind of put it off cause I didn't really want to go to school in the summertime. You know, I, you know, the summers, you know, the summers to have right. fun. And one night, uh, I was watching, um, this is back in 93, April of 93. We're watching PBS. There was a show on an an artist named, um, Robert Penn. And Mm -hmm. he is a Lakota. He was a Lakota artist, uh, Rosebud. And he was the, uh, the apprentice of Oscar Howe. And when it was done, uh, my dad had asked me if I had filled out that application yet. And I said, no, I, I hadn't done that. And he's like, you're going to fill it out. I was like, okay. So filled it out. My mom helped me mail it. And to my surprise, I got accepted to the program. And so uh, I went down. It was the first time I was ever away from home for that period of time. Mm-hmm. I thought all oh, these kids are going to beat me up. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, I, was, I was afraid of everyone. Right. Turns out that, you know, there was, you know, about a dozen, 15 other native high school kids there, all nerds like me. They just love to draw. Um, (laughs) We formed this tight bond. It was an intense program. I mean, it was all day, all evening. We were doing artwork. And that was was the beginning. I left that program with this self-confidence that I sort of knew who I was at this point. And so I went back every summer. Uh, for that I I got accepted back every summer to go to that program Mm -hmm. and so I think artistically um, Oscar Howe who is a artist from South Dakota uh, who's he has a there's an amazing exhibition on him right now called Dakota modern um, curated by uh, Kathleen Ash Milby out of the Portland art museum and the Smithsonian. There's a wonderful book that, that goes with it. I recommend everyone pick up that book um, that tells the life of Oscar Howe, who really is the, the genesis of contemporary native American art. Um, if it weren't for him and not, not just his famous letter that he wrote, but his passion for education and inspiring generations of artists behind him, we wouldn't be where we are now. Um, but his apprentice, um, Robert Penn was my mentor at college. And so I would go out to the farmhouse and, you know, I'd spend time out there with him. Uh, I knew him for about four years before he passed away, Mm -hmm. but he was the, the uncle that, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the uncle that I that I needed, I guess. So yeah, those right. two those two were the beginning of sort of this journey that I'm on.
0: How do you choose your subjects and mediums and how do you approach your creative work? Is there a specific process for you? I
1: I love figure studies. I love drawing the human mm-hmm. figure. Um there's story the whole stories can be told just by drawing the human figure. I mean this is this has been, you know, the, the case for for centuries. Of course, um, I've because I went to um, the academy in San Francisco. Uh, they had stressed, you know, contemporary animation in the industry now. now because I'm a storebird artist, um, my work is more. Um, it's it's basically all commission based, right? I'm I'm not a studio artist per se. Uh, there's uh, sort of a craftsmanship to this type of work or this approach so um everything is digital now you know the 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 days of paper animation on pencil are for the most part over unless you're like a very specific studio in korea or in japan who still works in the in in sort of that old way aesthetically you know they choose they choose to to do that um you won't you won't find paper animation um Mm -hmm as the norm in the big studios here nowadays. So everything's digital. So yeah, I work digitally. Um, And so, yeah, my studio space, I've got my, my large Cintiq and my Mac's up and you know, it's, it's everything is all, it's all digital. Once I get drawing, I upload it and send it off to whoever is commissioning me to do my work. Um, For the most part, I'm sort of dictated uh, on what, what I come up with Mm -hmm. Uh, the director or the the individual who's commissioning me to to do the work will have sort of a set of guidelines or they'll send me a script. And so let's say it's a director, right? And they want their, their piece storyboarded. And just for the listener, the storyboard artist, what storyboards are is um, a first pass at a film visually uh, from the script. And so it gives the, the director and uh, the cinematographer, you know, they, or, they take a look at it. They sort of see what the the film will look like um, before they commit mm-hmm. money, time, and resources to actually filming. It, it's sort of the the pre production planning process. And so, yep i'll I'll get the um I'll get the script. Uh, understanding script language, film language, uh, I understand um, just by reading the script what the director's looking for as far as like framing and setups and everything. And so I'll do some thumbnails, a uh, real small, short one-inch drawings, little scribbles. I'll send that to the director. The director will say, yep, I like where this is going. No, let's change this. And then I will work on the storyboards. Generally it's about five to seven passes on a storyboard before we get it right. So you have to have very little ego when you're actually doing these because the and vast patience. majority the patients too, <laughs> but the vast majority of the work that you create gets thrown away. Like it, it'll mm. never go anywhere. Um, because the goal of a storyboard artist is to make sure that the director has what they need to create this film. You know, you're there to serve them. And mm. so, um, you know, um, you have to be able to take direction literally from a director. Right? Um, right. Right. And to be able to serve them. So if you can get outside of your ego, uh, it can be a lot of fun, you know, and, also, too, it's kind of cool because you get the first pass at a script. And so yeah. sometimes you, know you what's do gonna something. Happen. <laughs> you know what's going to happen, but it's kind of neat, too. And the director's like, oh, I like that. I didn't think about it like that. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I had a little part of something. And those are little bits of magic that happen there. Sometimes,
0: you know, uh, I know the industry and they take that storyboard or that image, and that's actually the frame of what they're shooting as well. You know, it's kind of interesting to see that come alive. Are all the storyboard commissions that you do are they related to Native American stories or it's across the board?
1: Um, it's across the board. The majority have been Native. Um, yeah, I was working on a feature at the beginning of the pandemic, but they got shut down. Uh, the pand- everything got shut down, so that didn't go anywhere. Um, but yeah, um. I think right now it's, it's, it's a lot of native works um, because of my network and I love it. I'm absolutely thrilled. It is neat too, because as a native artist, someone that grew up on the res, I'm able to sort of understand the the nuances of what the director wants to get at, you know, that maybe a non-native would not pick up on. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important uh, for native directors to consider having, um, Native staff on, on their crews, you know, so that maybe there's a little more buy-in or, or a deeper understanding of, of what they're trying to do. And, you know.
0: Yeah. And they know the story, the story's firsthand. So they're a part mm-hmm. of that process. Are mm-hmm. there, I mean, you mentioned Oscar Howe, are there any other particular artists both within the Native community and beyond that influenced your style or perspective of Native American art? You know, I think,
1: across the board like just across the board uh i get sort of inspired all the time you know especially the guests that that come through my show um you know i'm i'm really generally a fan of their work number 1 you know i, I just i really like what they're doing i really like their approach on things you know um currently uh, at the plains art museum we have Gerald Kanoyer up right now he's a, a lakota artist um he, he he went to u s d as well uh he focuses on symbolism uh Native American traditional symbolism and so I think that's that's super interesting um you know we have uh Deani Whitehawk who's very traditional in her imagery, but what I love about her work and her approach when she's one of the most intentional people I've ever met or she's three, four, five steps ahead of where she's at right now. Like she knows what's around the corner. And I love that about her. Um, and she, she really pushes the, the truth that, you know, native women need to be telling their story. You know, it does not need to be curated through, um, non-natives or native men, you know, like, like women need to be up front and telling their stories. And I absolutely love that. Um, yeah, Red Redstar, her humor kills me. Like I see the work that she does and when she's, she's a fantastic artist, right? That's, that's a given, but there is that native humor that's in her work. And I invite the listener to explore her work. It is satirical. Uh, it's, it's biting. She's, she is someone very special too. Uh, but, Gosh, I I hate to throw names out there because I'm gonna miss someone, especially some really big people, you know. <laughs> uh Hillary Kevinick up in northern Minnesota. Uh another one that's just um just a fantastic artist.
0: Who have you had on your show that's kind of just floored you? You've been like awestruck by by the amount of information and what they provided on the show.
1: Uh yeah, you know, I had Jean Cook to see Smith on. Uh I didn't think that would happen only because of who she is and just right off the bat, she's like, let's do it. I'm like, Oh, okay. I remember being nervous about her. Uh, Kay walking sick is another one. Um, Kay was so generous with her time. Uh, it was, I think like a two hour conversation. (laughs) My, you know, for, for the program that I do, we, we usually go about 45 minutes with the conversations, you know, but, uh, she, she wanted to make sure that she told her story. And (laughs) she had a lot to
0: say, (laughs) she had a lot to
1: say and every word was worth it. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I have a couple upcoming guests that I actually can't talk about that. I'm just floored that I, that I have them. Um, but you know, it's, um, I always feel it's a privilege to sit down with anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to, to get their time. And I don't know if I get as nervous or starstruck, you know, um, with with everyone, but I'm deeply grateful for those conversations, and I always feel like I have a friend after those conversations. Right. I don't I don't know if it's the truth or not, you know, but I'm just like, oh, I just you know, uh, spent time with so and so, and I'm I'm on this high for a couple of weeks after those conversations. Yeah. And it's
0: Like I'm not hearing from them. Should I call them? What's going on? I know. <laughs> we just spent an hour so- together. <laughs>
1: Sometimes what happens is, like, like here at, at the market, I'm sure I'm going to run into people and be, like, so happy to see them. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're that guy we talked to a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I'm like
0: <laughs> – like, shut down. Boom, boom. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who does your booking for your show? Do you do it yourself? Are you a one-man show or do you have a, a mini it's crew? A one,
1: it's a one-man band. Um, it's I, I wish the museum could afford uh, a staff for me. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's – um, it's just me just emailing uh uh for weeks, months, a couple times uh <laughs> it's been a couple of years worth of of tries to get them on.
0: What advice would you offer to emerging Native American artists?
1: Show up every day to work um, whether it's uh whether it's just cracking open your sketchbook and mm-hmm. working on something um but be intentional about the work don't take. Don't take a lot of time off, you know, sometimes after a market or after a show or after an event, an artist will want to take some time off from the work. Don't do that. That's, Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a pitfall. Uh, Stay hungry, especially when you're younger in your career. Um, Try to say yes to a lot of stuff, you know, and because I think saying yes to a lot of stuff will lead down to paths that you weren't expecting. You know, I, I think especially with the young artists, a lot of them have like this five year plan that they, they right. they're gonna they're gonna do this in five years. And ninety-nine point nine percent of the time it doesn't happen, you know, and it leads to a lot of anxiety and pain for those those young people who want to stay fixed on that. But if you stay open minded to new opportunities, you know, put your ego aside and just explore, see what's out there, you know, but keep showing up for the work though. You know, I, I think because the best, I think technically the best artists that I've known in the younger days who sort of were all ego, you know, they knew that they were a great drafts person, and they figured everyone was going to roll onto them. They're not around, you right. know, they're, they're, they're living their life, but they're not living the, the, the life that, that a lot of artists are living, you know, who remain flexible. But, you know, I, I think the ones that, that are getting the big shows. That are that are being represented. Represented. Um, they're the hardest working people. It's persistence
0: and, too, and dedication. Mm-hmm. It's dedication to your craft, but also dedication to yourself.
1: Yeah. The other thing too is what I find is be good natured. Try not to create a lot of drama, because if you treat people a certain way you you start to miss out on opportunities. Um so often i find uh some of the the, the guests that i've had on on our show uh who are just the most great uh, grace, graceful i can't talk today uh <laughs> the most gracious and um respectful are the most successful ones. The ones that don't need to be on the podcast. You know they they don't they don't need to spend time with me to i mean they they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. But they're also just professional and nice and just wonderful to be around. Um, Jean Cook C Smith has no reason to email me as much as she does. You know, um, you can give her my does. number. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> but she checks on she checks on in on everybody because she'll message me. It's like, hey, do you have so and so's email address? I'm like, I do, yes. And it's a student that she had met, you know, years before. And so, uh, I mean, not not to tell her personal business, I guess,
0: but right. it it it's. It's, it's integrity. Just a good nature. It's, it it's is good nature and integrity. It is that they do care. Mm-hmm. I mean, collaboration and community are important aspects of Indigenous cultures. Have you collaborated with other artists or worked uh, within your community? And how has that impacted your art and your connection to your your heritage?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, that's a really good question. You can steal that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On the next episode of six plain questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, collaborations are it's 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 a very special way of connecting with with the community. Um you know, as, as a storyboard artist, by nature by its nature, you're you're collaborating with someone. Um mm-hmm. I I don't write scripts. I'm not a filmmaker, you know, so I have to work with someone to make that happen. And they, you know, if the director wants to not to, to make this a sales pitch, but if they want to save money and have a good plan, uh, they, they should contact a storyboard artist, you know, and, and put things on paper. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but filmmaking and it's, I mean, you can talk to any filmmaker Filmmake, filmmaking is a collaborative, um, uh, experience, uh, musicians as well. Um, I think it's it's also just a really great way to connect to community because, as especially as, as Native and Indigenous people, we are not just a one-off solo individual like on the mountaintop. We all have families. We all have community. And so when you work closely with someone, you get to know their family. You get to know their kids. And oftentimes you find that there are other creative people that surround them as well. And that may lead to other opportunities as well. Um, And I think that's why our communities are so strong. Our sense Mm -hmm. of family is something special within this American construct that we have, you know, and um, I I think that's a wonderful thing. You know, at the Plains Art Museum where I work, my job is, I mean, I do exhibitions, you know, I I curate shows, but 80% of my work is being in the community and finding people and connecting with people to see what we can do as a group, uh, to, to really enlarge our footprint as a community. Um, I will, so I'm on like the, the Fargo arts commission. Um, I, I interact with a lot of folks in Fargo and I really push the idea that native identity is Fargo identity. You know, Fargo is not the city of Fargo, and we have Native Americans here. Yeah. The Native American culture is entwined in Fargo, and that's something that Fargo needs to recognize. And I think that's any city in the country. Mm-hmm. It really needs to not say we are this community and we have Native Americans over here. Correct. We are We are a thread in that fabric that we're, n- we're not additional. Yeah. We're so, not the token. No,
0: we're not. We're not, not. the token element. Uh, Art bridges contemporary and traditional elements. How do you feel, or what is the balance between honoring cultural traditions and expressing individual artistic vision?
1: Hmm. I think Native American art is one of the in contemporary terms is one of the unique aspects of contemporary art where we are inherently tied to our culture, to our past, right? Um, it's, it's really what ties us to what this is. I will say that the vast majority of contemporary Native American artists will say they're an artist first who happens to be Native American. Absolutely right. I will never push back against that, but we our practice is also a practice of culture um you know oscar howe if i can go back to oscar howe but his generation you know they all started by um depictions of ceremony right Uh, dorothy dunn really pushed Mm -hmm. this idea with them that uh they had to depict ceremony and it was a wide lens uh so, like on the canvas, you had to show everybody on the scene. It was, it was like a theater production, right? You had to have the whole set. You had to have everything there, and Oscar gave permission to everyone to focus in on the individual and the individual experience. Still practicing ceremony. I mean, the, the vast majority of his work is traditional Native American art or imagery, but he was pushing for what the the subject was experiencing within that space. And so I just got lost on my own tangent there on what your question was. (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: Um, The balance of honoring cultural traditions and expressing individual artistic vision Mm -hmm. and bridging traditional and contemporary elements.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's... Oh, that's a good question. Um, Again, you can... You can borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm struggling <clears throat> struggling formi- formulating an answer here. Um,
0: you know, I I think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. I can go. I, I have another question because it was something I wanted to understand and, and know more about is the program at the Art Institute, um, mm-hmm. and what that entails. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think
1: what gives me hesitancy to answer the question is I, I don't want to speak for artists. Right? right. Um, even as a curator, I mean, ultimately that's sort of what I do when I put an exhibition note, uh, I, I translate what the artist is saying. Um, because I, I do find that the, the majority of contemporary artwork is a reflection of contemporary times. And so whether it's, um, uh, Brad Calhamer in New York mm-hmm. City, um, you know, uh, gosh, I'm just thinking of, of um, uh, John Hitchcock uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, so much of the work has has contemporary uh, elements, but also based in with with traditional um, either symbolism or iconography. Mm-hmm. I think
0: you know you see the ebb and flow of Native American artistry now. And some are taking some very indicative uh traditional elements and incorporating mm-hmm. it into a contemporary environment. Others are taking mm-hmm. contemporary, the now, and playing mm-hmm. a twist on it and telling their story. Um and it's interesting how that story continues continuously through the people that we've had on this show, there's always a binding thread, you know, even though it's very traditional or very uh, contemporary. There's always a binding thread that's pulling it together. So being a a person on the other side and interviewing Native American artists um, and doing exhibits, I wanted to get your perspective of, have you seen that as well and what your take take on it is? Because yeah, right now we're you know, on I, this I high of the ebb and flow, but hopefully it continues forward. Uh, it's not something that's just a passing mm-hmm. phase. We've made a, mm-hmm. a permanent presence that we're not going anywhere we've been here for a long time. So.
1: Yeah. True. I wonder if, if maybe this is sort of a version of what reservation dogs is doing right now. You know, we have, it focuses on these four young, these four young kids who are dealing with very contemporary issues in a modern community. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they, they tie in uh, traditional characters into the storytelling elements. Uh, one for comedic um, humor. I mean, uh, Delscoltusa, right. William Knife Man, of course, um, genius. Uh, you have other characters, traditional characters that that come through
0: there. Um, and It's still part of our story, and we're still interconnected. I think, and I, I mean, I'm not the writer of the show, obviously, I but I think that's why they play on it—that it's still part of us, no matter if it's 200, 300, mm-hmm. 600 years ago. That's part our part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. And we connect to it mm-hmm. in today's environment, no matter how long that span of time goes by.
1: Yeah, I think the thing too is that we're as as native and indigenous artists, um, we're we're forced to live in two worlds. I mean, this is this is something I hear quite a bit. You know, I, a lot of a lot of titles of their shows some, kind of play on this. You know, where yes, we are contemporary people living here and now, you know, we all have, uh, you know, smartphones of some sort, you know, we watch films on streaming and whatnot. Uh, but then there's a pressure both by external society and our traditional communities too, you know, that we have to remain, um, we have to sort of acknowledge where we come from, you know, not to lose that humanity. Uh, and it, it plays maybe subtle, subtly and not so subtly in everything we do. I mean, um, I don't know if I can show this to you, but I mean, I have my own, um, LLC that I use to produce my podcast and it's, it's a medicine wheel. you know, it's, it's a modern version of it, right. you know, but it's sort of a tie into that culture that, that, that I come from, right. you know? And so I, I think, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a way of us to, to stay connected to our community. Um, because, you know, I think back to when I was a kid when I went to the Oscar Howe program for the first time. It was my first time away from home, and it was it was really scary being a, away from what I knew. You know, mm-hmm. being in this 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 new world all by myself, and in a sense, that's I think what most artists go through. You know, we we're we're out there. It's so different from what we grew up with. Um, it, it keeps us grounded. Uh, yeah, it just keeps us grounded. I suppose.
0: And if you think back upon it, you know, the educational systems and schooling, it's not that long ago. People think, oh, that happened 200, 300. No, it did not happen that long ago. It's in Mm -hmm. recent history. Mm -hmm. Um, So to go back, um, tell us about the program at the Art Art Institute. Oh,
1: okay. Um, Are we we talking about the the Summer Institute? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So – Like I said, when I was a kid, uh, I went to this, uh, the Oscar House Art Institute at USD. Um, Two-week program. Uh, They teach you the fundamentals of drawing, painting, printmaking, uh, and then depending on the year, a variety of different things. Um, Ceramics, we did flute making one year. Uh, uh, Just different things. And it really, it was really the gateway for me to get into college. It, It sort of, it let me know the the potential that I had and the support that was out there. So I was involved with that for about 14 years, I think from Mm. 93 to about 2007. And uh, eventually when I became director of native programs at the Plains art museum, I found myself in the unique situation where I could create a program like that as well. And so I contacted USD, basically uh, talked to Corey Nedler, the director of the the art department there. I said, Hey, Hey, can I steal you guys' idea and do my own? And <laughs> he laughed. He said like, of course, of course. Um, cause we had recognized in that program cause I was a staff person, uh, the last part of it, uh, that the pro we, we needed more of those programs out there. Uh, more high school kids needed to be exposed to that programming to inspire them to, to, to find their way to college or figure out what they wanted to do. So, Um, yeah. So every summer at the, uh, up in Fargo there, um, we, we have a two week summer program. Uh, it's, it's basically the same thing. We invite 12 to 20 students per summer. Um, it's an intense program. It's not Mm -hmm. art camp, right? We, they're not there to have fun. Um, (laughs) in two weeks, they'll do 90 studio hours of work, which is about 13 hours a day of, of artwork at the end of that experience. Um, we all hang the artwork up in the museum, and so they get they get a uh, an art exhibition of their work in an accredited art museum. And we have a reception for them. Uh, we have community come in, and they get a chance to be able to speak about their work too. And I'm proud to say that a number of those students have since gone on to to uh, college into art programs and are being very successful. We don't take the credit for that. We just sort of introduced them to it. It's their hard work that got them there. And so, and these are, these are some, I hate to say accomplished for someone who's in their teenage years, but the work that they're doing is outstanding. And I I think back when I was their age, there was no way I was doing their level of work. Uh, And so it just makes me feel good that, that they're doing what they're doing.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, that's huge and amazing. It's like you're showing you're setting the path for them to find their own path to success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What
1: feels feels good too, is that, uh, you know, I I remember being their age and Robert Penn would be sharing stories that he received from Oscar Howe. Uh, Mm -hmm. He he would say, you know, Dr. Howe would say this or that. And he showed me, you know, how to stretch paper to to watercolor paint and, and whatnot. And I find myself telling the same stories of what Mr. Penn told me to these kids. And so it just feels good to be able to sort of, not to get all traditional, but, you know, having like oral history stories, you know, from one generation to the next, now to this right. next generation. And it feels good to be able to, to pass along those stories to those kids who can do what they want with
0: that. So on the exhibit side, how long are your exhibits up and what's the ramp up time? And what do you have current and what's in the future?
1: Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, so, uh, our exhibitions are generally up between six to eight months, uh, depending on the exhibitions. Um, it, you know, it, it takes, it takes a good couple of years to, to get that going. Um, I, I think like most institutions, uh, uh, we reach out to either the single artist or the group of artists. We kind of put the call out to what we want to do. Um, and then it's just the process of of making sure that they have the work ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have our register who does all the logistics of of getting the artwork here, insurance and all that. And we generally like to have um everything sort of ready to go a few months out before the exhibition opens, get the artwork here, uh minimum of three weeks beforehand, get everything hung. And yeah, then it's then it's up for uh 6 to 8 months depending on on what the exhibition is um we currently have uh, Gerald Knoyer up right now it's a 25 year uh, retrospective of his work um that's about to come down at the end of September and then on October 21st we are having an exhibition on Oscar Howe uh and about his studio practice oh. so while there's that the amazing Dakota modern exhibition that's, that's happening right now that I think is going to be closing up here pretty soon. Um, which is currently showing at the, the, the Brookings art museum. Oh my gosh, I'm messing up the name of their, their institution. Uh, Google it. Oscar okay. Brookings. <laughs> it is a fantastic exhibition. They did a great job there. Um, I think it's the South Dakota art museum. So they, uh, that's there, but we're we're focusing more on his studio process. So you know we'll have items from his his actual studio mm-hmm. in in the space there, uh, and people, the patrons will be able to see the drawings and the finished paintings, and they'll be able to see that process on how how he did that. Mm-hmm. And so that will be opening up on October twenty first, and will be open through March of
0: twenty twenty four. Okay.
1: And the museum's free, so anyone can come check it out
0: and what's next for you in uh, your other craft?
1: uh well, I'm hoping the the writer strike uh, comes to a <laughs> uh, swift resolution um, it's uh right now, yeah, I'm just working on some commissions, and I guess we'll see what happens you know um, the nice thing about storyboards is uh, those projects are kind of short, you know, there's sort of, um, a several month period. So I'm hoping that as soon as, uh, uh, the strike ends, uh, we can start having conversations again and, um, we can, we can move forward with new projects. So, uh,
0: yeah. So it's yeah. time to plug your own podcast, Joe. Tell us about your podcast when it's on, where people can tune in and.
1: Sure thing. Uh, well, th- thank you for that. It's, it's great. Uh, it's, um, five plain questions. Uh, it's anywhere you you find your favorite podcasts they're they're on there so uh just the number 5 plane, plain p l a i n uh like the northern plains uh mm-hmm. questions um each episode is anywhere between 25 minutes to 50 minutes long depending on the guest uh we interview uh artists musicians uh culture bears People doing community work. Um, just if, if they're in the arts or they're doing something uh, really important, uh, they'll be on the show. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've had uh, TV writers and actors. Um, we had Bobby Wilson this last month. Of uh, this last week, um, we had McGizzy, uh, Pensenu the the week before. They're both uh, 1491s. Uh, and Ty claire who was one of the writers and editors for uh, rutherford falls um the nbc show um that lasted i think two seasons great show yeah uh they're all comedians too i love having comedians on the show um i don't know they if you've had lively. an opportunity <laughs> they do and they don't they don't care what they say and i love yeah. it they are they just go with it so A few mic yeah. bombs <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I would say probably comedians are my favorite guests I have just cuz there's such good energy. Um
0: but yeah, yeah. So your weekly yeah. and what when when is a new episode launch every what day? Every
1: every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Uh, every Wednesday uh February through November. So uh I am traveling so there may be a slight pause in the next couple weeks for the podcasts. Um we'll we'll see what happens. Uh I for the most part, up until um there was a slight pause in June. I had not missed a Wednesday in three years. So uh we'll see what happens. But anyway, um there's plenty of episodes for for one to catch up on if if they're new to it. So
0: yeah. Congratulations. You said four years, 150 episodes.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, we're in season, yeah, season four right now. Yeah.
0: So yep. knock on wood, maybe we'll last that long. <laughs> it go
1: it goes by fast. Do you how What's your, how how large is your staff? Are you, uh,
0: Uh, there's two of us, (laughs) myself and Jesse, the producer, and we're weekly, uh, -hmm. our first show launched in January, January of this year. So we're eight months in America,
1: America Meredith. She was your first guest. She was our
0: first guest. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so far so good, you know, we're, uh, audible. So all the platforms and we're also on YouTube. So, uh, we had that, uh, Element as well. So, yeah, we're coming up yeah. on a year. I mean, we we uh, interviewed Mer- America, I think last October, last November. So it's been a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Well it's congratulations. Fun. Oh, thank it you. It is fun. It thank
1: is fun. It, it definitely comes through, and it's so important what you're doing. You know, I I've urged uh, a lot of folks. And I, I've mentored a number of people who've wanted to become uh to do podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's really important for us to to do this work uh to get out there because I can't interview everyone, you know. It? Um it's just not possible. And so the more of us doing this work is so important. And we all approach it a little differently, mm-hmm. you know. Um and I think it's really important that uh that there is a variety out there and that there are options. Absolutely.
0: So
1: congratulations. You're you're doing an amazing job and I oh, couldn't be happier you. that you're doing this.
0: I appreciate yeah. that. Same to you. Well, Joe, Thank any you. uh closing comments? Uh,
1: you know, I I would say for the listener, support your local artist, you know. Uh art is a it's it's hard work. Um artists need to be paid for their work, so don't shortchange them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, native indigenous music and podcasts and shows are all out there and it's what's coming out it's so good right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are we are in in a season right now of really good stuff. And so, yeah, I believe that. Thank you for this. Well,
0: it's been an honor and a pleasure. And I was so glad to meet you finally and have this time to chat and, and thank you again. And congrats. I mean, four years, I'm, I'm going to try to aspire to (laughs) what you've been doing. So thank you, sir. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is wonderful.
0: Absolutely.